Good morning. Ephesians is um, is a really deeply personal, deeply personal letter that addresses us and where we are and helps us understand just how valuable and how important we are to God. But it's also a letter written to the church. It was written to the church in a world that was very divided and filled with hate and animosity. And it's incredibly relevant. And in the letter, he's talking about the new kind of community that God is building and what he's doing with the church. And these words today, I think, are just incredibly relevant. And I've chosen for our focus verse today these words from Ephesians. For he himself is our peace. He is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility. Let me ask you, does anybody see any walls of hostility in our world today? (laughs) It's, you know, even within the church, the church universal. Reminds me of a story of a man who, who was shipwrecked on a desert island. After a year on the desert island, someone found him. And when they landed on the shore and they saw the man, they noticed that there was two buildings on the hill. And they said to the man on the island, what's that building? He said, that's where I go to church. What's the other building? That's where I used to go to church. (laughs) So much hostility and animosity in the world. And every, every day we hear so much of that. So I wanted to, I wanted to begin today by sharing a good news story. Uh, I finished this book last week under the recommendation of one of our church members. And it was a bit of a stretch for me because I really don't know much about the Korean War. And I haven't read a lot of novels uh, about past wars and, and so on. I don't know anything about the Navy, really. But this book is called Devotion. And it's a really good book written by Adam Makos, which tells the story of two men who came from radically different backgrounds, these two men. Jesse Brown and Tom Herdner. Jesse Brown was a, um, from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And in 1949, he joined the United States Navy and became the first black aviator in the United States Navy. The first aviator, black aviator, to land on an aircraft carrier. He's a true American hero. He became friends with Tom Herdner. Completely different background. Tom was from a wealthy family from the northeast part of the uh, part of the country. Went to elite prep schools and was a Naval Academy graduate. Now I want you to think about this. This was in 1949 that they became friends. Think about where Jesse came from in Mississippi in 1949, a long time before the Civil Rights Movement. Think about all the barriers that he had to cross in order to become a Navy pilot. And then think about all the barriers that Tom Herdner had to cross to become his friend from a totally different background. It's an amazing story because these two men, during the the Korean War, they provided support. They flew Corsairs off an aircraft carrier into North Korea. And on one of their missions, one of their missions... The, the Chinese army, thousands of them, were pouring over the North Korean border. 
and it surrounded a, about several thousand uh, Marines from the United States Marine Corps, and they were dying and just suffering horrific deaths in sub-zero temperatures. And these two men were part of a squadron of, of Corsair flyers who were flying to provide support. And as these Marines were trying to evacuate North Korea to get back to, uh, to board a ship, uh, these men were dispatched in order to provide cover for them to get back. Jesse Brown took on some uh, flak on his plane and was forced to crash land his plane in sub-zero temp temperatures in a snow-covered field. He crashed the plane, but he was unable to get out of the plane because he suffered internal injuries, and he was trapped in the wreckage of the plane. Tom Herdner was told, like all the other pilots in the Navy, that if another pilot goes down under no circumstances, are you to ever land your plane to rescue your friend? You have to leave him there because we can't lose two of you and we can't lose two planes. We'll send somebody after him, but you only, and you'll be court-martialed. Tom Herdner, two men in a very racially divided, intense world, become friends. He sees his friend in that field, trapped in his plane smoking, disobeyed orders, crash-landed his plane in that field, broke his back, crawled out of the plane, crawled over to the other plane, and gave comfort to his friend Jesse. They were on the ground for more than an hour. He could not free him from the plane, and Jesse died. Jesse died there in his arms. And his last words to Tom were, tell my wife Daisy that I love her. Less than a year later, this is the scene in Washington, D.C., Tom Herdner was awarded the Bronze Star, Medal of Honor, for his, for, for his heroic work. Standing next to him was Harry Truman, President of the United States. And next to him, Daisy Brown, the widow of a true American hero. Probably most of you have never heard of Jesse Brown. And he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. But here's what's the, the, the remarkable part of this story is that when Daisy Brown came to Washington, D.C., even though the Navy had integrated itself and these two men were best friends, Daisy couldn't stay in a hotel near the Capitol because they were whites for whites only. The reason I tell you this story is because I want you to think about 1950. These two people coming together, these two people becoming friends, the racial barriers and the animosity coming down between races. We need to hear more stories like that because we, we live in a world where every day, we're just hearing bad news every day, every day, constantly, every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And if all you ever hear are stories of bad news, your heart is going to grow dark and cold and fearful and afraid. I met a woman yesterday at a wedding I did, and we were having a conversation, and I told her that I was going to be going to Israel 
in 10 days. She said, oh, I would like to go there, but I'm just too afraid to go there. And I looked at her and I said, don't be afraid. Don't give in to fear. Don't let hate direct the course of your life and live a small life. Don't be afraid. We need to hear the stories from the past of people from the past who broke down barriers. We need to be reminded of these good stories. Now, Ephesians, okay? Ephesians in chapter 2. Paul is talking about the same thing. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he's writing about the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. What I want you to understand is that racial animosity that existed between Jews and Gentiles was just as difficult and maybe even more difficult than we see even in the world today. I want you to look at it. Here's what he says. He says, therefore remember, and he's talking to the church, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Look at the words, uncircumcised. That was a racial slur in that culture. Separate, excluded, without hope, foreigners, without God. Later in the text, he talks about a dividing wall of hostility. In the temple in Jerusalem, there was a wall. And if you were a Gentile, you were not allowed to go through that gate into the temple because above it it said, Gentiles may not enter. If you enter, you risk your own life, and we will not be responsible for your death. So if you go back and then you read the book of Acts, you get the background of this story. And when you read Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples, you're supposed to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth to bring the gospel to everyone. But when you get to chapter 9, they haven't done it. They were ordered to open the church to everyone, but they're still focused in on themselves. Thousands have joined the church, but in order to join the church, you had to be circumcised. You had to be a Jew. No Gentiles in the church for the first decade. So you know, you know what God did? God picked the most hateful, racist person that he could possibly find to be a missionary to the Gentiles. On the road to Damascus, he picked Saul, broke Saul's heart, opened his eyes, and then sent him to the Gentiles. So he takes care of Paul. These words I just read were written by a hate-spewing person. Then he goes to Peter. Peter is living in Joppa. 
He's staying with someone named Simon the Tanner, and he's up on the roof, and this is in Acts chapter 10. He's on top of a roof, and he's praying, and God gives him a vision. In the vision, he sees all these strange-looking animals coming down from heaven, and he's repulsed by them because Jews weren't allowed to touch them. Then he hears this voice, take them and eat. And Peter says, I can't, I can't eat those. They're unclean, Lord. Your word says don't eat unclean animals. And the Lord says, take and eat. Never call anything unclean that I have made clean. Now, meanwhile, an hour up the coast in a place called Caesarea was a big Roman port and garrison. There was a Roman soldier who was generous, gave to the poor, and wanted to know God. And he's praying to God, and God says, I want you to meet someone named Peter who's in Joppa. I want you to bring him up here because he has a message for you. He sends these messengers down to um, Joppa from Caesarea, and Peter's up on the roof at the moment they're arriving in the house. God's orchestrating this whole thing. You with me? Okay. Peter goes down, and they say, this Roman soldier up here wants to hear from you. You, you, you. you need to come. Peter spends 24 to 48 hours traveling up to Caesarea. He gets to the house of a Roman Gentile soldier. He gets there, and this is what he says to them. He says, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. I came without objection as soon as I was sent. For now tell me why you sent for me. And this Roman soldier says, we are here waiting for you before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Then Peter says, I see now very clearly that God shows no favoritism In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus for all. He preaches the gospel to them, and everyone in that Gentile house gets baptized. We welcome in the first Gentiles into the church without requiring them to be Jews. But guess what happens? When the Christians back home find out what's happened, it says, Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. When you get down to the end of the book of Acts, you see this drama is still going on. Uh, Later on in the book of Acts, they decide that you don't have to be a Jew to become a Christian. They wipe out those laws and rules. In Acts chapter 2, Paul is in Jerusalem. He's imprisoned. He's preaching before a Jewish crowd. And when they find out that Paul has welcomed Gentiles into the church without requiring them to practice circumcision and other things, a riot breaks out. I want you to understand this because you can't understand what he's talking about here unless you understand the animosity. 
So he begins chapter, verse 11 and chapter 2, talking about this hostility. And then he says this powerful word. He says, but now everything's changed in Christ. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. You see, this is not just about you and Jesus and the world after this world and your own personal salvation. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. But he's also saved you to be a part of this world, to address the real pain and suffering in this world. He is our peace. He is the world's peace. He's made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, tore down the wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, why did he do this? Was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. The gospel brings people together. It gives them a new identity. So the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles and males and females and slave and poor and rich and poor. Educated, uneducated. You see, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we take on a new identity. I am a Christian first. And I am a Texan second. I didn't say I'm a Christian first and an American second because I'm from Texas and we think we are our own country and we don't need anybody else. <laughs> you know, you can move to Kentucky and, and be a Kentuckian, but you can never move to Texas and be a Texan. So when we become a Christian, we're Christians first, Americans second. Christians first, white people second, black people second. Christians first, Republicans second, third, fourth, fifth. Democrats second, fourth, third, and fifth. It's not that those identities are not important to us, but they are surrendered to our greater identity. You know, People ask me, say, well, David, where is God at work in the world right now? I, I look at all the things going on in the world. Where is God at work in the world? And it's as if people think that Jesus is up in heaven doing crossword puzzles or taking a nap or directing an angelic choir. And I want to say, you know where he is? He's not up there waiting for you paving streets of gold. He's down here on the earth building his church, calling people to it, redeeming them from their sins. Lifting them up from their sins, giving them new life, bringing them together, creating a model for what he wants the world to be, bringing the kingdom of God now here to us. That's what our church is. Our church, we have Republicans and Democrats, people of different races, different genders, people of different economic groups. But all those things come second to our new identity. The other thing this points out to me is that you can educate people and you can legislate laws, but education and laws does not change the human heart. The gospel changes the human heart. And your connection to having your heart changed is knowing that you need it. And he says, knowing that through him, 
we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So then he goes on and he says in verse 21, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his Spirit. You see, before this, God dwelt in the temple. But when then all the walls came down, where did he go to live? In you. In me. In his body. His people. His presence in the world. At the wedding yesterday, somebody and it was a wonderful wedding, uh, yesterday, somebody asked me, well, David, where is your church located at? And I said, I really don't know. They were confused by it. I said, well, it's located in a lot of places. It's located at uh, Hyde Elementary School. It's located at Humana. It's even located at UPS. The church is driving those little brown buses. It's located at the gym where some of our people are working out today. It's You know, there's a football game going on tonight at UK. It's going to be up there, too. It's wherever people there are. That's that's why we gather together, we pray, we eat, and then we work, and we repeat. And this is what's happening. God has chosen you to be a part of it. This is just our time. This is our time in his world to do our part, to bring his glory, to bring his message to the world, to live out the love of Jesus by meeting people where they are so they would know that our God is a good and lovely God and to bring hope and light to the world. Amen.